Heavenly Father, we, we're so grateful just for the things that you've blessed us with in the world, the things that you've given us. We're so infinitely and eternally undeserving of your grace and your mercy and your blessing. And yet you choose to freely bless us anyway. And we praise you for that. And Father, we just pray this morning that wherever your people are gathered in your name, that you would meet them there. Churches in our city, in our county, in our state, and in our country, Lord, you would meet your people around the globe. You would minister to your people. And Father, I just pray that uh, you would anoint me this morning as I bring this word. Such a powerful passage, Lord. I pray that you would help me to do it justice. I ask that in your name, Father. Amen. So this morning, we are going to begin to look at the second epistle of Peter. We, as I said before, we're taking a break from John until East, or until about a, for about six weeks or so. I want to I wanna land on John 20 on Easter Sunday. And so we kind of spaced it out, so we had a little chunk to fill. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Peter, or 2 Peter, rather. And, um, and, and sec, Peter's second epistle here, he's writing to the churches in Asia Minor. And that's modern-day Turkey, and kind of that region of the world. And so we find Peter here writing this letter shortly before his death. It's probably written around... 67 AD-ish, right? Somewhere in that window. And it seems from the text that Peter is aware that his time is coming to an end. And so it seems like he wants to make sure that the church has a very clear understanding of who they are in Christ and what the Lord is calling them to. And I love that we're opening up 2 Peter just a couple weeks after we saw Peter's denial in John chapter 18. Because remember in John chapter 18, Peter betrayed the Lord three times. He, he, I mean, he, he, he blew it just about as bad as a man can blow it. Right? He denied his friend. He denied his Lord in, in, in his hour of greatest need. And we find Peter really just, just hitting absolute rock bottom. And you remember in the text that after that third denial and the rooster crowed, remember Jesus looks from across the courtyard. And Jesus and Peter's eyes meet. And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. Now... Some 35 years later, we find Peter, an old man, still plugging away, still laying down his life for the sake of the gospel, still serving in ministry, still passionately loving Jesus. And I know I've shared this before, but I want to share this again because I think it's such an important principle. To my knowledge... There are no sins of any Old Testament saints recorded in the New Testament. None of the sins 
of the Old Testament saints are recorded anywhere within the New Testament. Isn't that cool? Let's remember that principle that he keeps no record of our wrongs. Right? The Lord isn't keeping a, a running tally of my daily failures. That's an encouragement to us. Peter failed. Peter betrayed the Lord. And the Lord forgave Peter. And if that's all the Lord had done, was forgiven Peter, that would have been enough, wouldn't it? Right, Peter, I, I love you. I forgive you. you. You had a good run. Now, why don't you go see if you can get a good lease on a fishing boat? Right, Peter, in retrospect, I think you're called to be a fisher of fish. You know? No. Not only did the Lord forgive Peter, but he restored Peter. And I don't want to jump back into John right now and spoil it, but in John 21, right after the... Re I said I'm not going to, but then I'm, then I'm about to. Um, in John 21, right after the resurrection, remember Peter and the guys, they're back in Galilee. They're out there fishing. And Jesus shows up on the shore and he's, and he's grilling some fish. And you remember Peter jumps out of the boat and runs and meets Jesus. And you remember that conversation that Simon, Peter, and Jesus had. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times he says it. Right? Just in case Peter ever forgot. Jesus made it very clear. He, he's, he's restoring. He says, Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And so three times we see the Lord speaking this restoration into Peter's life. And anytime we see something repeated three times in Scripture, it's significant. And that culture, to repeat something three times, it meant, listen guys, pay attention. Listen up, take note. Peter, Jesus says, you messed up, but you're forgiven, and you're restored, and you're still useful in ministry. You're still called to serve me. And, and I hope that that is an encouragement to you, church, because you're a failure. I'm a failure. We're all failures. Not to, not to shatter your fragile self-esteem, but we've all failed in our calling, haven't we? We've all failed in what was laid before us. But you know what? There's hope. We serve a loving, merciful, generous God who is compassionate and gracious. And he gives second chances. And he keeps no record of wrongs. And of course, I'm not talking about a license to sin. Ooh, I can do whatever I want. Jesus can't even remember what I did yesterday. Right? That's not what we're talking about. Right? Sin breaks the heart of a true believer. We don't have license to sin, but that doesn't mean that we still might not stumble and we might not fail. But here's the thing. When a Christian stumbles and fails and falls into sin, they hate it. They're miserable. They long to be right with the Lord. And the Christian life, as I've said so many times, isn't about achieving absolute perfection. It's about trajectory. Right? It's, a talk about, it's talking about, about 
the direction that we're moving in in our lives. A few weeks ago, we, um, we talked about salvation on Wednesday night and kind of the, the, the aspects and the, and the modes of salvation. We talked about justification, right? We, we're, we're forgiven of our sins. And we talked about that, that sanctification process, becoming more and more godly in our, in our day-to-day lives. And, and that's kind of what this trajectory is talking about. Are you, are you closer to Jesus than you were a month ago? Are you more holy and righteous than you were a year ago? What direction is your life heading in? <clears throat> and I love that this is the same Peter here, guys, who failed so miserably so many times in the Gospels, still faithfully serving the Lord, greatly used by God. This man who was so impetuous and brash, now a seasoned, mature believer. That's an encouragement to me. But now we're going to get to verse 1. Um, <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our Lord, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it says, Simon Peter, a servant an apostle of Jesus Christ. I think first and foremost, Peter recognized his position. Before Peter could be anything else in the kingdom of God, he had to recognize that he was a servant. And again, we talked about this in our first study this year on Wednesday nights. This word doulos, servant. It means, it means to be a slave. It means one whose will is completely swallowed up in the will of another. And, and that's what Peter's talking about here. His will had been swallowed up by the will of God. First, Peter was a servant. And I want to point this out. You can't serve in ministry if you aren't a servant. Right? You can't serve if you're not a servant. It's sort of that ontological argument we were talking about on Wednesday night. Right? There's sort of an order of things. People say, oh, I want to serve the Lord. I want to be used in ministry. But then they don't want to humble themselves and be a servant. Well, sorry. That doesn't work. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. I like Peter's heart here. Right? He notes that there's not royalty within the family of God. I mean, I, I guess that's not true. There is, in the sense that we're all royalty, right, within the family of God. We're all kings and priests, it says. But <clears throat> what he's saying is no one is above anyone else and their degree of salvation, right? We're all equally lost without Jesus, and we're all equally saved when we call on his name. And this might shock you guys a little bit. I don't have special access to God because I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't have a backstage pass. I don't get to go to the after party with Franklin Graham and Kanye, Right? 
That's not how it works. There's not like tiers and a caste system within the family of God. That's right. Paul says that, that we're all equal in Christ. Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. There's this great equality. And, and we read that in our modern culture and context. Well, so yeah, duh. Of course. Of course we're all equal. Of course men and women are equal. Of course Jew and Gentile are equal. Of course the rich and poor are equal. But you have to understand that when Paul penned that, that was a revolutionary teaching. That there was racial equality? Absolutely unheard of. That poor people were just as worthy as rich people? That males and females were equal? That was laughable. Those were not common ideas in the culture of the day. The church revolutionized the world with its teaching on equality. And to be clear, we haven't always got it right. right? We didn't always put it to practice right. But the scripture was the basage, basis, basis for, for the suffrage movement, right? For the abolitionist movement, for all these things. This idea that there's equality in Christ. Now, the Lord might call some to spiritual authority, but it's not because they're more saved, right? It's not because they're on a higher tier of Christianity. In fact, I, I think that the Lord calls us, some of us, into ministry just so he can keep a closer eye on us, right? So we don't drift away. It gives us a degree of accountability. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to bore you with grammar and linguistics, especially since I barely speak English myself, but I want to make note of something here. In Bible college, we learned about something called the Sharps Rule. And without going into detail, when Peter says, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, <coughs> grammatically in the Koine Greek, there is only one thing that Peter can be saying here. Without question, Peter is writing that Jesus Christ is both God and Savior. We see it in 1 John 5.20. We see it in Titus 2.13. We see it here in 2 Peter 1. There is no question that native Koine Greek speakers would have understood exactly what Peter's writing concerning the nature of Christ. You can look that up if you want later. You can Google Sharp's rule and, and learn about that. He goes on in verse 2 and says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter says, as you grow in the knowledge of God, may you begin to experience more and more of his peace in your life. May you begin to experience more and more of his unmerited favor and blessing. His divine power, verse 3, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Listen to that again. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
Do you realize the gravity of what Peter just told us? This is one of those verses, I believe, that if you can really get a hold of it, if you can really lay hold of what Peter is saying here, your Christian experience will be radically changed. His, that's Jesus' divine power, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. First, please notice the tense here. His power has granted us, has given us. That's past tense, right? We've already been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do you see that in there? Here's why that matters. You might feel like, man, I'm, I'm struggling in my faith. I don't know if I have what it takes to live the Christian life. I don't know. I don't know if I can fulfill the calling that I've been calling, given. That is a lie from the enemy. This idea that you can't accomplish the Christian life. Peter says you've already been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. You already have the tools that you need to live the Christian life. And maybe you feel like the Lord is calling you to something bigger. Maybe he's leading you into ministry. Maybe he's calling you to missions. Maybe he's calling you to to something that that you don't feel equipped to do. And he's like, man, I I just don't have the gifts that I need to accomplish the calling that he's given me. For Christmas... I gave my boys this little starter toolbox full of tools. Partly because I had a Home Depot store credit and it was on sale. That's not really the point. right? But so now they have this box of tools. And so far, they don't really know what to do with the tools yet. They're learning, right? They're starting to develop some skills. They're always getting their screwdrivers out and screwing things. I have to watch what they're hitting with the hammer. Right? And every time I'm about to try to do something, Silas says, hey, Dad, do you want me to get the pliers? Or, hey, Dad, hey, Dad. Right? They've been given these tools. They've been given the hardware they need to get the job done. Even though they can't fully utilize it yet. And I say that because that's exactly how it works in our lives. The Lord has already given us everything that we need to live a godly Christian life. He's already given us everything that we need to fulfill the calling that he has put on our lives. We just need to learn how to use those tools. We need to learn how to develop those skills. And he's also given us the Holy Spirit. And that's the power to accomplish his calling in our lives. If we want to maintain an analogical constancy here, if we want to keep that analogy consistent, Right? He's, he's given us the tools to do the ministry, to serve him. Right? We've, we've been given the tools, we've got the skill saw, we've got the cordless drill, but the Holy Spirit is the current that powers the tools. Right? A skill saw is pretty worthless without electricity, isn't it? I heard a story of this logger in Alaska in the 30s. And he used one of those hand saws, one of those big hand saws, and he would chop wood. 
And he was like the, the leading woodcutter of the day. And he could cut four cords of wood in a day. And so it was right at the advent of chainsaws. And this chainsaw comes around and says, man, you're amazing. If you can cut four cords of wood a day, if a saw, when I give you this chainsaw, you're going to be able to cut ten cords of wood a day. So the logger says, that sounds like a good idea. And so he buys the chainsaw. And the next week he comes back into town and he says, this stupid thing is worthless. I, I worked with it all week and I couldn't cut anything. And the salesman says, well, let me see what the matter is. Let me see the problem. And he, and the logger says, what's that noise? Some of you guys are just getting that. He didn't start the chainsaw. That was the joke. If I had a handheld mic, I'd drop it and leave right now. <laughs> we can have all the tools without the right power source. We won't accomplish anything for the kingdom. It doesn't matter how great an orator you are. It doesn't matter how wonderfully you can tickle the ivory on the piano. doesn't matter how great of a singer you are. If you're not powered by the Spirit, it's of no eternal worth or value. We've been given the tools that we need for the calling that we have been given. And we have the power source. And we also have the training manual. I'm just going to hold up my Bible, but I don't have one. Imagine this is a Bible, right? We have the training manual. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now listen, on one hand, I don't want to stand up here this morning and tell you how terrible and worthless and wretched you are. On the other hand, you're pretty terrible and worthless and wretched. Right? So there's a... But we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. We were given these gifts and abilities and powers. Not because of anything special within us. It's because we know him. He has called us, it says, in his excellence and in his glory. I like this whole verse in the NLT. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. He has given us everything that we need for godly living. And we receive it by coming to him, the one who called us to himself. It's because of his marvelous glory. It's because of his excellence that we have been called. Not us, nothing in and of ourselves, 
But because he is good, he chooses to call us and use us for ministry. I, I hope you see this verse in all of its glory here. Whatever God has called you to in this life, he has equipped you for. There is nothing that you cannot do when you're walking in the Spirit's leading. And I, and I think that that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, when he declares, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. We've been given everything we need to fulfill our calling. Do you know why Chris and Matt can sing and play music and I can't? Do you know why Jen and Jillian in the office are so good at admin stuff and so detail-oriented and I'm not? Because those things aren't my calling. He didn't give me those gifts because they're not my calling. We have different callings in life, so we receive different tools to fulfill those callings. And when we get that the Lord has already given us the tools and the power to fulfill the calling that which he's called us to, that should revolutionize how we see our service to the Lord. I'm going to read verse 3 again and connect it to verse 4 because it's kind of one thought. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promise, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter says, through his glory and excellence, he has granted to us his great and precious promises that we can become partakers of the divine nature. And this word partaker there, it, it comes from a Greek word that you've probably heard if you've been around the church for any amount of time at all. It, it comes from the Greek word koinos, which we get the word koinos, or koine, right, common, like the koine Greek, and it's where the word koinia comes from as well, fellowship, or sharing. And this word koinoninos, it means to be a partner. It means one who participates with another in some enterprise or matter of joint concern. So this word partakers, it means that we are partners with God. And please don't assume equality in that partnership. We're not equal partners with God in it. But Peter's saying, look, we've all been called by God into service to him. And he's given us the calling and the ability, and we're able to partner with his divine nature to see his plan for our lives unfold. And not implying that we become God. But I think it's saying that we begin to reflect God. And we begin to reflect his divine nature to those around us. Because of that, Peter says, we have escaped the corruption. And that word can also mean 
destruction, the perishing nature of this sinful world. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. For godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Paul says, for, or Peter says, for this very reason. What reason? Because we become partners with the Lord. Because we have escaped the destruction of the world. He says we need to make every effort to supplement our faith. It's a weird turn of phrase, isn't it? We're so big on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and you're saved by grace through faith. And, and, you know, and, and, and we see a verse like this. We need to supplement our faith. What does it mean? What is Peter saying? Don't take this to mean that our faith is not enough. So we have to add a little bit to it. Our faith almost saved us. We just got to add just a little bit of works to it. Jesus almost saved me if I can add just a little bit of virtue. I'm almost saved if I can add just a little bit of knowledge and self-control. Then I'm going to heaven. That's not what it's saying. Because that goes against so much clear teaching of Scripture. This is a tough verse. And the idea isn't to supplement your salvation with those things in the way that it seems. What Peter is saying is, look, you already have faith in the Lord. You already trust the Lord. If you want to partner with the Lord and you want to serve him, you need to be virtuous. You need to have virtue. You need to, be, you need to have moral goodness. You need to have knowledge. You need to be learning. You need to exercise self-control. You need to be steadfast. You need to be immovable in your faith, not blown about by every wind of doctrine. You need to be godly, he says, and all that that entails. You need to show brotherly affection with love. You need to be good to one another. We need to be decent people. Right? There's no excuse for believers being spiteful and, and nasty to one another. We never see Jesus behave like that. And those are all obviously great qualities for a believer to have, right? But I want to be clear again. Peter isn't saying, do those things and you will be more saved. What he's saying is that that's part of the sanctification process. That's part of the, the growing in the Lord process that we've been talking about. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, if you can work these qualities into your life, if you can be growing in these areas, you'll be a far more effective believer. You'll be fruitful in your Christian service. But the opposite is also true. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter says if you lack these things, 
if you lack virtue, if you lack knowledge, if you lack self-control, if you lack steadfastness and godliness and love, you will not be an effective, fruitful believer. Not saying that you're not saved. He's saying you're going to be third string JV and you're never getting off the bench. That's what he's saying. Without those things in your life, you're never going to amount to anything in your service to the Lord. He says so nearsighted that you'll be blind. You're so focused on your life. You're so focused on what you're doing that you completely miss the bigger picture of what the Lord wants to do in your life. He says, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So nearsighted you forgot what the Lord has done for you. Peter says, don't you remember that you've been cleansed from your sins? Don't you remember that you've been set free? Don't you remember that now you're a child of God? He says you can get so focused on yourself that you miss all the wonderful things that the Lord is doing around you and that he wants to do through you. Therefore, brothers, verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. The New King James says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Paul says in Philippians 2.12, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Both kind of saying the same thing here. Both saying, make sure that you know that you're saved. Make sure that you know that you know the Lord. He says, as you live out these principles in your life, they don't save you, but they're going to be confirmation of the work that the Lord is doing in your life. And we're going to be talking about this very topic on Wednesday night, so I don't want to delve into that. But it's important, so come on Wednesday and hear more about that. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love this verse. Peter says, look, when you apply these truths to your life, when you become a fruitful Christian, when you become the person that the Lord wants you to be, when you're successful in the things that he's called you to, when you get to heaven, he says, you're going to receive a glorious welcome. You're going to get a ticker tape parade. The Lord is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I love the imagery here, this picture of us entering into eternity. And the implication there is that we're going to be, there's going to be a celebration when we get there. You know in NASCAR they always do the Victory lap when they win. That's what it's going to be like. We're going to get a little victory lap. Richly provided for our entrance into the eternal kingdom. Therefore, verse 12, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them 
and are establishing the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to recall at any time, or you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter says, look, I'm an old man. I'm about to die. Humor me. He says, I intend to keep reminding you of these elemental aspects of the faith. I, I plan on continuing to remind you to be virtuous and to be godly and to be loving. As Paul told the Philippians, for you is not tedious, but it is safe. We need to keep hearing these truths over and over and over again. Peter says, look, I, I, I want to stir you guys up because I'm, I'm putting off my body soon. Some of your translations say I'm, I'm putting off this tent soon. I, I'm dying. I'm going. I'm, I'm moving out of the house. And when I'm gone, I want you to be able to recall the things that I'm telling you. This is a real win one for the gipper kind of moment, isn't it? Three of you got the reference to the gipper there. <laughs> Peter says, when I'm dead and in the grave, guys, I want to make sure that you have this message hidden away in your heart. You need to have these truths locked away so that you can recall them when you need them. And that is such great advice for every single one of us as disciples. We need to have the Word of God hidden away in our hearts so the Holy Spirit can bring it out when we need it. So the Holy Spirit can bring it to remembrance. Right? In order for the Holy Spirit to bring something to remembrance, we have to have already heard it and taken it in, right? I was hoping to finish this whole chapter today but I see it was the dream, the impossible dream. So we're going to close. And I want you to remember a couple of things. First, as I said, you've already been given everything that you need to fulfill the calling that the Lord has put on your life. He's given you the abilities and the power to do the things that he's called you to do as you walk with him. We see as believers, we're not supposed to just coast through life. We need to be working. We need to be striving to better ourselves spiritually. Striving towards godliness and virtue and love. And if those traits are missing in your life, if those traits are lacking in your life, Peter says, you need to really search your soul and make sure that you know the Lord. And if you search your soul and find that you come up short, it's okay. If you examine yourself and discover that you've either never been serious about the Lord or maybe you don't even know the Lord at all, that's okay. It's not okay that you don't know him. 
but it's okay and that you've reached a place where you can move forward now. You've reached a place where you can recognize your need. Now you've arrived at the place where you can call in the name of the Lord and be saved. You can't be saved until you realize that you need to be saved. Right? You can't be saved until you realize that you're hopelessly lost in your sin. But when you come to that point, you're primed and ready for that work of the Holy Spirit, that transformation, that, that profession and salvation. When you get there, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and be saved. And if you've never done that, as we continue in worship, I'll be available on the side. Come talk to me. Love to pray with you. If you have any other prayer needs, come forward and just let the Lord do his work in your life. Heavenly Father, your glory is incomparable. Your majesty and your excellences are more than we can even begin to understand. And we're so grateful for that. And Father, we pray that you would just continue to reveal yourself to us, Lord. Continue to draw us to you, Lord. Continue to make us fruitful and effective Christians for you. Doing things for your glory. We ask that in your name, Jesus.